Hey friends, welcome back to Marriage Therapy Radio. I'm Zach Brittle. I'm here with Laura Heck. And we're also here today with filmmaker Roger Nygaard, who is kind of a big deal. Um, he made a movie called The Truth About Marriage. Laura and I looked at it last week. That was fascinating. We have a fascinating conversation. Um, not a lot of banter this week. We're going to get right to it. But it is, as always, a very cool conversation. Stick around. It's weird. It's it's wild, Roger, because, um, you know, we both watched the movie this week. And I feel like I've been talking to you for like you came on and your voice came on. And I was like, oh, I've been listening to this guy talk for like mm. two hours. Already. Yeah, I'm that same guy. So you pretty much know me. Yeah. yeah. I've had clients who have said, whoa, you talk really slow in real life. And I said, are you listening to my podcast on 1.5 speed? <laughs> so they're, they're used to my chipmunk voice, but not my normal voice. So I think, I don't know how long ago was this, maybe like two or three years ago when you were doing the interviews or when you were in Seattle? At this point, yeah, I would say it was probably about that two, two and a half years ago. Yeah, I, I, it's not every day that John and Julie are both in the office at the same time and that they're dressed and ready for camera appearance. And I remember kind of having like a big to do. I'm like, what's going on in the office today? Like, oh, they're filming John and Julie. Just, you know, another thing, just filming a documentary. No big deal. And so I think I actually walked in on you the day that you were there. That's quite possible. Yes, there was a, there was a lot of activity buzzing around behind me as normal in their office. I mean, I was just so glad to be there. It was so hard to get that interview. That was the, my last interview and the one I've been angling for for so long. And I finally got them to say yes. So we're talking about your movie. It's called The Truth About Marriage. I'm going to read your bio. And then I have one very important question, which is, so here's the bio. This is Roger Nygaard. The book is The Truth About Marriage. It examines how we can all make uh, relationships happier. He has directed a TV series such as The Office, The Bernie Mac Show, and has edited Emmy-nominated episodes of Who is America, Veep, and Curb Your, Intubi Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's made several award-winning films, including The Car Salesman, comedy suckers, and he has pr probed UFO fanatics in Six Days in Roswell, Star Trek fans and Trekkies, and existentialism in the nature of existence. So here is my very important question. Are you ready? Yeah. My daughter would like to know if you can get her a date with Jim Halpert. <laughs> I can uh, give her advice that could pretty much get her a date with anybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. How old is she? 17? 13. 13. No, it's oh, Mary. Oh, the other, the other one. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I <laughs> also have a very important question. Has nothing to do with, with why you're here today, but did I read that you were involved with Grey's Anatomy in some way? Oh yeah. I worked on that. Uh, edited season 14. I think I'm in season 14. This right is now. too many uh, p p points of connection between you and I. It's uh, crazy. Fate has <laughs> di dictated that we finally speak today, apparently. I first heard of your movie from a mutual friend of ours. So I bought it right away. Wait, is it out already? It's out? It hit, uh, yeah, video on demand in February and then streaming just last week. Where, hold on. Okay, so tell our listeners where they can find it, first of all. Sure. So. The film, The Truth About Marriage, is available for streaming right now on Amazon Prime or video on demand and all the usual suspects. And the book, of course, is on Amazon. Awesome. What do you recommend? I mean, we're, some of us are still in lockdown, so maybe video is kind of fun right now. Yeah, well, the book is, I, I finished the film and I had so much great data from people like the Gottmans. And all yeah. of, I talked to 15 psychologists as well as anthropologists and everyday knuckleheads and gathered all this amazing data. And it's just so much can fit in the documentary. 
And so I thought I've got to do something with it. And so I wrote the book to go along with it. And your daughter, Zach, should read the book if she wants to know how to get a date, because there's a specific chapter in there on how to be attractive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I laid it out. (laughs) I didn't get Mm -hmm. to that. That was one of the the chapters that didn't make the final cut of the documentary. What are we all attracted to? Because it's really scientific, the things that we're attracted to or repulsed by. And Mm -hmm. men and women are attracted to different things. You guys obviously know these things, I'm sure. And they've learned they're very specific. For example, I'll give you one example. When they can look at the data on dating sites, people say when they make a list of here are all the things I'm attracted to in a partner, this is what I'm looking for. They can look at what they say they want, then they can look at what they click and what they actually want. And those two things diverge. And it goes back to evolution. We are looking for survival, uh, Mm -hmm. outward signs of survival or aspects that will increase our chances or our offspring's chances of survival. And people, no matter what they say, they're going for looks and money. That's Mm -hmm. what they click. And it's reversed. Women go for money first, look second, men looks first, and and money second. And that sounds pretty crass, but that's what the data says. Mm. And that's, we're linking that strictly to like an evolutionary standard, not like a... Resources. Egotistic, yeah. Yeah, Uh, you want, you need resources to survive and for your offspring to survive. And mm -hmm. looks is about... We're looking for now they now know that attraction, attract, attractiveness is based on congru- congruency. Mm-hmm. You want to have symmetry. yes, yeah, symmetry. Right. And that's what yeah. we look for in a person and someone who is in the middle statistically like size and placement. Eyes are not too wide, not too narrow. Nose, not too big, not too small. We're looking mm-hmm. for all these things that are about the statistical average because that shows that our genetics are probably more in the statistical average, which is better for reproduction. Interesting. You know what blew my, I mean, there were several moments, Zach and I were chit-chatting before you hopped on and I was really intrigued by several things. Number one, I I was wondering, well, first I got to ask you this question. How did you come up with the people that you were going to interview? Because there are some people that I follow that are my sort of really well-known people in the industry of couples therapy or just attraction, all of that. And these were some people I've never heard of before and was like, wow, how have I never heard of them before? (laughs) Um, So how did you come across them? I mean, Bill Doherty um, was hometown for you and he had a lot of moments, a lot of sound bites in the video, which was great. Um, So that was a gentleman that I was really well aware of. And then I also noticed you had um, kind of a mix of not only psychologists, but people who were studying history and um, like anthropology and sociology. And that was fascinating to me, this types of facts. But how did you land on your guests? Yeah, I mean, I started out knowing very little. And I'm a single person talking about relationships and marriage, which itself is kind of ironic, right? And how, how dare you? You've, you know, you've no experience in being married. Well, I have found in all my documentaries, I have been an outsider looking in and it gives me an objectivity. Totally. And Bill Doherty said this, at a, he was at a film festival screening when someone had brought this question up. And he said that when I interviewed him, because I wasn't married, I asked these seemingly naive questions that a married person wouldn't ask because married people come to him with a pre-thought theory of marriage already mm-hmm. in their mind. And they're looking for him to confirm it. Whereas yeah. I'm just, what is this all about? It makes no sense. I'm a failure. Right. Help me. Yeah. And I then created or formed a theory that I uh, 
that I built based on all of this data. How did I start? I got, I went online, looked at Amazon and started collecting books, a stack probably five feet tall. Cause if you go to the bookstore and look at that section yeah. on self-help right. and relationships, it's huge. <laughs> There's, mm -hmm. And I just started reading and and like you said, psychology, anthropology, biology, evolution, these are all affecting who we are and the decisions we make. We think we have free will, but surprise, it's all pre-programmed through millions of years of evolution on mm. what you're going to choose or be attracted to or say in a given situation of yeah. circumstances or, or whatever environment you're in, you, what you will do and choose is very predictable. Is, mm. This is what I learned. Mm. So anyway, back to your question. I took that stack of books, made a list of all of the authors. They all and they're all tending to be uh, researchers or psychologists mm -hmm. or scientists. I got a big map, put it on the wall and put push, push pins for where they're all located and started to see where they're clustered and then sent out emails. And whoever responded, I would then yeah. plan my trip. OK, here's the East Coast trip. There's this guy, Dr. Robin Baker, I really wanted to talk to who wrote the book uh, Sperm Wars. Yes. And he was in southern Spain. So I thought, OK, I'm going to have to go to Europe. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, when you got to the point and you're like, well, I had to fly all the way. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm sure that <laughs> was southern Spain. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> OK, I mean, I'm kind of geeking out, but I, I want to give Zach some time because I tend to talk over him when I dork out and fangirl. <laughs> What's funny is about 15 minutes ago, Laura was like, I don't know this guy. I don't know how you heard of him. Um, so I'm going to let you run the show. And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'll just sit here. Yeah, no, no. I, I had the same experience. I mean, I tell clients all the time that um, I got hooked on um, a guy named Eli Finkel. Did you come across him in your research? No, was, I didn't. He's um, he's out of Chicago, I think. And he he kind of wrote the book, kind of maybe the scientific version of your book. It's sort of like this um, collection of universal wisdom around what marriage is and what it is historically and what it is culturally. I really appreciated that. That's what you served up. I was thinking about who would I show this movie to like in my client practice, who, which clients need to see it. And it's frankly, it's the clients that you're describing that go in to see Bill Doherty who have this kind of preconceived idea and need that idea to be kind of challenged or busted up. I found it um, especially intriguing that the couples that you chose to interview, very few of them were sort of your, heteronormative sort of yes. husband married to a wife scenario. And um, because that's the one we, we know, right. That's the one that we just sort of put in the can or um, that we see on TV most often, but you had like this one polyamorous couple and then the, mm -hmm. the, uh, that uh, African-American mail order bride. Family. Yeah. Okay. The mail order bride. Okay. Hold on. Can we just <laughs> for a second talk about the mail order bride situation? Because I didn't want to say it. I might've missed that part, but it was, She's French and they marry. And then all of a sudden she wants to have a career and that just wasn't going to work for me. So I guess I guess she's on the outs. Was she really a mail order bride? Really? Well, the backstory is they met at a party at my house. He's a friend of mine. And so that's how people tend to get in my movies because they're friends or I know them or sure. their connections or I get invited to their wedding. And so I bring a camera. I had a big yeah. party and they met in the swimming pool at my house and hit Hello. it off. She had just yeah. arrived from Eastern Europe, from Prague, actually. And wanted to meet Americans, right? They dated on and off for several years, long distance. She would fly back and he would pay for this and fly her over. She would spend several months and go back. She finished her studies in economics. And then eventually they decided 
the way they put it was they were happier together than apart, so they decided to get married. Mm -hmm. It lasted sure. five years, and then I part of my process in the film was I would go to weddings, film the wedding, interview the couple, and then check in three or five or seven years later Brilliant. and see what happened to this couple. Yeah. And when I checked in on the, this two, they were getting divorced and were willing to talk about it. It was actually hard to get them to talk, but I finally talked them into it. And, mm. and you get yeah. to see how they uh, were approaching their divorce, which made them better friends than they, they said than the, than the last year of their marriage. You know, I just thought it was fascinating that I, I kept kind of looking for for me and I never showed up in the movie, right? Like not as a therapist, but as just the husband married to a wife. And I guess there's that one family in the kitchen. There were some, what you would call normal couples that I, I went to their wedding, checked in mm -hmm. on them and they didn't make the final cut because normal is just boring. It's not entertaining. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, yeah. there's less to be learned. You learn most when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. So what and this is typical of all my documentaries, the people that make the final cut are the exceptional people, the exceptional yeah. Star Trek fans, the exceptional UFO fanatics, not the yeah. normal yeah. UFO fanatics. Mm -hmm. And it was the same here. We learn more, I think, from the couples who are more on the periphery than we do from the ones who are kind of in the middle. Yeah, I think that's where the film was going to is going to add value to sort of my use of list of resources is like if you're kind of feeling sort of stuck or in the in kind of the the narrow, how do you broaden the scope of what you're what you're seeing? You know, one one thing that one of my reflections is in reality, as a studied therapist, um, you know, and I think Laura would say this too, a lot of what your 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 expert base offered up apart from kind of the history and sociology pieces is sort of like there's nothing new under the sun i mean you have the one guy kind of going he boiled it down as like the, the who was it? it's your buddy he was on the the pier and he was like be nice and i forget the second piece of advice but i was like that's really what it boils down to like mm -hmm. be kind and make mm -hmm. your daily choices basically is the be kind and ask for what you want that was his advice yes. be yes. kind if you boil it all down the 10 commandments be kind and ask for what you want yeah. I'm listening to a book right now that I I'm in love oh. with uh, a comedian. I'm not in love with him, but I'm I'm really drawn to a comedian, Pete Holmes. I don't know if you know Pete Holmes, but he uh, I worked with him. Yeah, I edited his TV show Crashing. Yeah, I love Crashing. I'm sort of watching Crashing while reading his book, which is called uh, Comedy Sex God, I think. But he talks about his transition out of his own faith. And um, he says the Ten Commandments, if it was if it was written by an atheist, it would have been one guy who just went up on the mountain and came down with a with a single thing that said, don't be a dick. Like <laughs> that's like the, that's like the all that's of it? what is required to be a person. <laughs> like the golden rule. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Be kind. Be ask for what you need. So. Yeah. I covered that in my last documentary, The Nature of Existence, which is about existentialism. I always take on these impossible to answer topics. And what I one thing I learned there is that this this golden rule that is Jesus is famous for actually predates Jesus. Confucius wrote or uh, preached something called the silver rule, which is similar. Mm -hmm. But it's instead of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. His version is do not do to others what you would not want done to you, mm -hmm. which is uh -huh. essentially live and let live. Yeah. yeah. Do unto others is kind of invasive. Like, how do you know what they, that they want the mm. same thing you want? Mm. And so this, if you take it back even further, what I learned from the evolutionists and the biologists is that there's something that any animal that lives in a group, like deer live in a group, a society, yeah. a, you know, a, a pack or a team or a group, whatever you want to call it. And they practice something called reciprocal altruism. 
trading favors. Mm -hmm. They remember who owes who a favor and who's not pulling their weight. And if you're not pulling your weight, you get ostracized. We do the same thing and it's called morality. We give it a word, morality. And it's a requirement to live in groups. And religion is, it came along and put names on and took credit for these things that are necessary for us to live and interact together. Interesting. You get ostracized. You get kicked off, off the island if, if you don't follow and abide by the rules. And in relationships. And in, yeah, absolutely, in relationships. Hey gang, you may have heard me talking in recent weeks about a project that I've been working on. Well, I'm proud to say that it's ready to go and I'm excited to let you know about it. It is called the Marriage Therapy Journal Book Club. I finished the book and found out that people wanted some support and around it. And so I decided to open up kind of a group setting for folks who wanted to spend some time really diving, taking a deeper dive. Um, you can learn more about the book club at the products page at marriagetherapyradio.com. I also put it up on our Facebook page, the Marriage Therapy Radio Facebook page. Check it out. I'm going to leave it up until the end of the month, and then we'll get started in July. So um, look forward to having you in the group. Back to the interview. So I'm curious, who was the... Um, <laughs> there is one moment where there was... I'm, I'm listening to this at the gym, so I have it set up. It's on video. I'm working out. And then all of a sudden, I have this moment where I like put my weights down. I walk over to my phone. I pull it up. I'm like, who's talking right now? <laughs> and it's this woman. And she's talking. It started into talking about and debating who has the power, men or women, in heterosexual relationships. And it's uh, this older woman. Maybe you can tell me who she was. Dr. Pat Allen. Yeah. Pat oh, Allen. You know exactly what I'm... Okay. And she's talking. She's saying, women women have the power. And I was just like, this is fascinating. You keep preaching because you're going to get a lot of audience that's going to want to listen to what you have to say, <laughs> but it's going to raise a lot of eyebrows. So tell me about that. What are your thoughts on what she had to say about women having the power? Women, Men are here for women. Women are the ones who reproduce. I mean, I just was like, wow, this is totally a different way of hearing about yeah, this. Yeah, right. Well, this is fascinating to me. It comes from happy wife, happy life. I began to investigate, well, what does that mean? And is it real? We have this belief or idea that in a patriarchy, that it's a man's world. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's a facade. Mm -hmm. The yeah. reality is, and I asked couples, I said, and people in general, who is the boss in most relationships, the man or the woman? And it was unanimous, almost 99%, I would say, the woman is the boss. How yeah. can that be? And yeah. the deeper I probed into this, the, what I discovered is that in a relationship, you need harmony. And there are going to be conflicts and you have mm -hmm. to get through the conflicts. And in order to get through the conflicts, both people have to feel happy or satisfied. If one of them is not happy, they both can't be happy. Right. And in order to get to happiness, what does it take? And people were hard pressed to go to the explanation. They all said, yep, happy wife, happy life. Got to keep my wife happy for me to be happy. And, and it takes a while for men to learn this. They don't start out that way. Generally, they start out a little bit delusional. They run into trouble and then they realize they're not going to win. And then yeah. they start, whatever my wife says, ask my wife, it's up to her. She has the final veto. And the psychology behind it, in my opinion, my theory is that when you are trying to get through conflict, you both want to get there. Now, how do you get there? Well, if there's an argument, you argue. And the masculine person, and it could be the woman who's more masculine in some mm -hmm. cases, uh, uh, it, it, maybe 20% of the woman has more masculine traits than the man. 
But the masculine person uses logic and litigates and wants to debate. Well, you said, well, let's roll the tape back. I said, and see who's wrong. Whereas the feminine doesn't care about any of that. She or the feminine person needs to be heard. She's hurting. She wants to be recognized. She wants an apology. And then she's fine and she can go on. It doesn't matter who is actually at fault. It's completely irrelevant. Now, when two people are going at it from one's logical and one's emotional, the emotion always trumps logic Mm. in that situation. Logic cannot defeat an emotional hurt. So eventually the logical one realizes I'm wasting my energy. I want to get back to watching the game. So the way I'm going to get there is to, okay, you know what, honey, I'm so sorry. And then what the Gottman's teach is how, how that, those interactions should go. And it should right. be, please tell me what I can do to help you feel better. Mm. That's about all you should say in an mm-hmm. argument. And then, yeah. and then you, and then you substitute the word I for you, instead of mm-hmm. saying, you are such a slob. You say, I feel so anxious when the garage is a big mess. Hmm. Right. And you can help me feel better if you, we can work together to solve this. It's a much yeah. more constructive way to approach a conflict. And all of that is, those are parts, coefficients. There's more going on, but that's part of the reason why people ultimately land on, well, the woman's the boss. Hmm. What's that? It's that line from um, my big fat Greek, Greek wedding where she goes, it might, the husband may be the head, but I am the neck. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Wherever I turn, he goes. Yeah. Is that what the idea is? Who had a, somebody recently said that that was uh, bullshit. They basically said, this is gross. This is disgusting. I don't like that. That terminology. Who was it? Was it somebody that I was reading recently? Yeah, probably. This is the hard part. And I don't know if Roger, if you had this experience of here, you have all of these experts, everybody saying something. How do you filter through? Because for me, having so many voices speaking truth about their awareness and how they view a relationship, what'll make it work, what makes it deteriorate. It's uncomfortable for me to have so many different choices, so many different voices, which is why as a a truest Gottman, I mean, Zach and I are both certified Gottman therapists. We've both trained um, with the Gottmans. And so that's the framework. That's the lens that I view relationships through. And it becomes really hard for me then to hear all of these other opinions that might say, no, it's this, no, it's this. And so it's easy for me to say, you know what, I got to be a truest. And that's what makes me comfortable. It might be a narrow lens, but it is a a lens that makes it easier for me to be able to teach and for couples to hear. But how did you come out of this with so many different voices speaking to relationships? Yeah. Well, who's got the data? The Gottmans have the data. Mm -hmm. They did the research and you can replay their experiments and test their data. So if someone has an opinion and they have no data to back it up, well, why should you believe them? Yeah. I mean, you might have a feeling that something is this way or the other, but feelings can be wrong. (laughs) We know I felt things that were wrong many times. And so the scientists are the ones who are Mm -hmm. testing hypotheses about Mm -hmm. human behavior Mm -hmm. and they're changing their opinions all the time. The more data that comes in, you know, the, you know, a scientist says, well, you can never know truth, but you can only get closer to truth. The more data you get, you get this much closer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're 99.99% close to believing that the world is round, 
because <laughs> there's a lot of data, <laughs> yeah. for instance. So we call that a fact mm. yeah, until somebody comes up with more data to prove the other, uh, you know, the opposite. That's what we're going to go with. And it's the same in relationships. People behave certain ways. And there are reasons. And you can look back at the reasons why we ended up in this position where we are and what they tend to point to the especially the uh, historians is that human behavior changed radically about six to ten thousand years ago with the discovery of agriculture there's really before agriculture and after agriculture mm -hmm. this thing we call marriage is a new mm -hmm. invention a new idea that came about after before agriculture Humans lived in small tribes that were nomads that wandered from here to there and everybody shared everything. Reciprocal altruism was, it was crucial. Nobody owned anything. There's no propriety. Men didn't own women, which is part of what came after agriculture. Mm -hmm. Men didn't own the land. They, everyone shared food, resources, shelter, raising children, and a lot of the uh, historical and anthropologists argue that they shared sex. Sex was not proprietary. If you, uh, like they, they found one tribe, actually, you know how they test, how do you test that thesis? Well, you find current tribes today that are living that way and they found tribes and there was one tribe, maybe this was one who was in the Amazon where they had a word for someone who was what they called stingy with their genitals. Because hmm. <laughs> they weren't being, sharing their sex with the tribe. Yeah, yeah. And that seems very, uh, outrageous to a, a, a culture now where monogamy is the rule, mm -hmm. sure. but mother nature doesn't care about our, our thoughts and rules and feelings as long as we're reproducing successfully. Right. And so before agriculture, that was best for humans as mm -hmm. a species. Now, because there's so many people, so many more people, and we don't live in small tribes, a new yeah. rule had to evolve. And what happened after agriculture is that they stopped moving around. They lived in one place Pretty soon, men started thinking, well, this is my land and my domesticated animals and my woman and my children. And I want to make sure that I'm passing along all my properties, all my possessions to my genetic offspring. So this idea of marriage began to occur or be invented as a way of controlling the sexual behavior of women. Hmm. Because if a man is out working in the fields or he's out hunting or he's dealing with livestock, he can't practice what they call mate guarding in the wild where he keeps an eye on his woman 24-7 to make sure it's only his children. You know, there's this old phrase, mommy's baby is daddy's maybe. How can you be certain? A woman knows it's her baby, it's 100%. Yeah. A man, right. there's no way he can be sure unless he's kept her caged 24-7. Yeah. And marriage is this social fence that caged women so that men could be sure or reasonably more certain that it was mm -hmm. their offspring. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit ironic that the origins of marriage have that as the motivation. It's, that's the first time I have heard of that. And it was an aha moment for me where I was thinking, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. They want to pass everything off to their offspring, but they need to be able to make sure it's their offspring. And even I think one of the statistics that I remember hearing is even today, is it 10% of children are not from their biological, from their assumed father? Is that the statistic that I remember hearing? Yeah, correct. Uh, which was kind of like, okay, well, 10%. That, okay, that doesn't seem high to me, but it, I'm sure, was just a big deal back in the day where you just couldn't tell, had no idea of making certain. 
Well, to get to the 10% figure, that means mm-hmm. there's a lot of cheating that's well above 10%. So yeah. because our, our culture changed so radically and forced us to adopt monogamy as the new rule, it didn't mm-hmm. change who human beings are as a species. And so that's why you, you see headlines all the time of this Republican just cheated on his wife, you know, who, who, who was proclaiming how wrong it is 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And it's he, or polyamory making a resurgence or alternative lifestyles. People are looking for yeah. ways to deal with the fact that they feel unsatisfied, dissatisfied, frustrated in their relationships today. And we're frustrated because our culture asks us to behave in a way that's out of sync with who we are as a species and Mm. you these ideals that our friends relatives parents society ask us to reach are unreachable virtually unreachable Mm. and eventually you're going to fall short and you're both you and your partner are going to be frustrated with each other and disappointed and then what do we do we need counseling that's where you guys come in that's where we come (laughs) people need help understanding that the only solution to reach happiness is number one, first, you have to accept yourself for who and what you are. Mm. And number two, accept your partner for who and what they are. Because the Gottmans, is there, another one of their statistics is 69% of all relationship problems are never solved. They're just mm-hmm. accepted. Right. And then you move on. Acceptance yeah. is the key. It's pretty hard to accept that your husband leaves his socks on the floor. But you're going to have to <laughs> if, if he is who he is. He might change his behavior with enough of a threat, but then he's going to be resentful and it's going to come out in other ways. And then we've got to deal with how how do you, what's the best way to handle that conflict? Yeah. I love that. A there's um, it's just sort of matter of fact, right? There's this notion that this is kind of the way it is. And this is what the science tells us. And this is where the research comes from. And the world needs scientists and the world also needs like storytellers, you know, people who can make sense of the science. And I'm wondering if you had, in your documentary process, um, like a story that kind of blew your mind, like blew your mind where you were just like, holy cow, that, that all clicked, you know, the aha for you personally, as you were making your, you know, putting this thing together. Well, uh, two things. Uh, The first was that Rachel Hope is a co-parenting expert and she told, made this very simple eye-opening statement that People look at love as feelings. I feel love. Prove that you're feeling. I'm going to prove my feeling. It's impossible or very difficult to prove feelings. They're transitory. They're and they're internal. What you can prove is behavior. And so a better vow than I promise to feel love toward you forever, because how do you know how you're going to feel in 10 years? No one knows, mm. is a vow that says, I will behave lovingly toward you forever. Mm. Even if we're mad at each other, even through a divorce, even through hard times, even if I don't feel the way I'd like to feel, I will still continue to behave lovingly toward mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. What a better way to approach love in, because behavior is measurable. You can actually tell if you're living up to your goals or not. How do you measure feelings? You can't, you can't do it. And another thing that blew my mind was this idea, and this is why I had to search out Robin Baker, that there's this thing called sperm warfare going on. Mm-hmm. Robin Baker and his, his researchers discovered in the 90s that when they examine sperm, there's different kinds of sperm. There's not just one sperm that fertilizes an egg. Only 1% of sperm fertilizes an egg. So what's that other 99% doing? 
And yeah. they looked at it, and there were the, all these sperms with double heads, big, uh, big mid pieces, mm. coiled tails, short tails, long tails, different sizes and shapes. And so then what they theorized and set out to prove is that what's going on is that they're like two armies, two competing armies that are designed. One man's sperm is designed to fight another man's sperm. So may the best sperm win to fertilize the egg, which is better for genetics so that the strongest yeah. best sperm gets through. And what this implied is that women promote sperm warfare inside their bodies. Mm. Another word for that is prom promiscuity. Huh. They're having sex with mo more than one man within a five-day yeah. period because sperm can live up to four to five days inside a woman's body. Uh -huh. And that was fascinating to me. And I had to go find this guy and ask him about yeah. this. Yeah. Particularly given the context sperm. you described where we've sort of moved into monogamy but that wasn't always the case when we were like trying to figure out how to make the strongest tribe, for example. Um, mm -hmm. When you started talking, I started grinning to myself because I got to tell you this story. We, I was at a amusement park a couple years ago and I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> I got sperm warfare and you got a story, but let's hear it. Let's hear it. I'm at amusement park a couple years ago and I climb into the, uh, you know, that ride, like the lazy river, which is the big round one that bumps against the thing. And then all the water comes down. So me and my kids are in on kind of the one side and then there's this woman on the other side and she's got her two kids next to her and they definitely are like her kids, redhead, kind of like same features and everything else. And we're all just chatting. And then I look down at her leg and she has a tattoo on her leg and the tattoo, no lie, is of a what is very clearly two large sperm with the features of her children tattooed oh onto their like <laughs> face <laughs> like she's got her like sperm children tattooed on her leg and almost like a cartoonist fashion and so as soon as you started talking about that and how there's different you know types and they have different kinds of yeah. it's You're almost imagining like, like the red-headed sperm <laughs> the red-headed sperm is gonna come yeah, with like <laughs> the glasses yeah oh my gosh we, my, my whole family was just like are, do we all see that do we all and and Did you course, ask her about it? That no, could have been a great question. Oh, no, 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 no. We just silently judged her. And then my younger daughter, <laughs> the one who wants to date Jim Halpert, um, is uh, she's like, what is it? What is everybody laughing at? What is it? What's going on here? So all of a sudden I had to teach my kid about. On the lazy river. On the lazy river. Yep. <laughs> That's right. The redheaded sperm went out. It's probably good you had that conversation because we, kids are so far ahead of parents now. They know everything long before you think yeah. they do. Yeah, you should you should ask my son one of these days. We'll, we'll have my son come on. He's five and uh, and I'll have him explain to our listeners his his understanding of how babies are born. But I have it on video where I ask him and he says, well, uh, you know, the sperm comes up to the egg and goes, let me in, let me in. And she's like, no, not you. No, not you. You you will do. <laughs> and so then he's like, and then the sperm wiggles in and she says, welcome. And then he loses his tail. And then and then it's a zygote. And it's just really funny to hear a five year old explain how babies are born. That's not very that accurate, it. though. That was it a is. supremely accurate description of what goes yeah. on. I try to I try to teach him. And then, of course, you have to make the, the sounds, make it interesting while you're teaching him. So he's got that story in his head. I love that idea, too, that what's going on at a micro level with the sperm and the egg is mirrored on a, the macro level in dating and relationships. And the same thing is happening where a woman puts up barriers in order to find the most um, genuine suitor. 
Yeah. That's why she says no. And he keeps pushing and she keeps saying no. And he keeps pushing until she goes, okay, you know what? I think this guy's genuine. I'm going to let him in. And then babies are made. I thought it was fascinating in the, in the documentary. And we'll have to wrap this up because I could probably just keep going and going and going, talking about the difference between match.com and uh, what's the other dating app where he was talking about the difference between eHarmony and Tinder. Oh, eHarmony or Match. I mean, yeah. those are both like similar, right? Where you're right. listing the qualities versus Tinder, which is what do you look like and what's your proximity to me? And I, w- I, I was watching that and going, oh, that's interesting. I also love that you had interviewed, and I'm curious how this interview went for you, talking to Ashley Madison. That was a very short clip, by the way. Didn't get a whole lot of uh, Ashley Madison interview in the documentary. Yeah, well, his that? point of view is is easy to state pretty quickly, and he's kind of one note. It is what it, you know. Ashley Madison is to help people uh, have affairs because mm-hmm. we're all needing to cheat, according to that theory. Yeah, and here's a way to do it. I got to him and interview, interviewed the CEO of Ashley Madison about a month before he got uh, he resigned because they had a hacking data breach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened, and but it's still there. I mean. Testament yeah. to how popular this sort of idea is. Yeah. But he's he he is simply providing a service for something that people want. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I I'm curious about this. There was it's basically the question that kind of popped around a little bit is like, what's the shelf life of a relationship? And three years. I, I think, yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> three years. And and I um I remember writing this in my phone, pausing taking a moment because sometimes I hear things I'm wishing I had my notepad and somebody said, it's not about having one relationship. It's about having many. It's a series of relationships over and over and over with the same person. Yes. And that just gave me the mo- the moment of aha where I thought I'm going to share this with my couples who need to feel hope that the relationship that they had 20 years ago is done and it's the shelf life it's over. Yeah. It expired. And now it's time to think about what is this relationship going to look like today? And then three years from now and six years from now. That's why that's how you get past three years is understanding that passion switches to compassion. Mm. Things change. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. You're going to use that one. Write it on your whiteboard. I see it. <laughs> it's empty right it's now. It's ready so for need, the next chapter. Yeah. You need compassion for raising children and you need passion to have children. So that's why we start out feeling really excited about someone and having sex three, two, four, five, six times a day, whatever it is, then that drops off naturally over time because you can't spend that much time and energy on that pursuit. When you've got children, you need to put your energy into raising children. Even if you don't have children, at the end of three years, the sexual excitement is not the same as it was at the beginning. It's designed that way. Now, that's not to say you can't recapture that to some degree. And so in the book, I have an entire chapter uh, on how to rekindle passion. Didn't make the didn't fit in the documentary, but there are passion experts that teach couples and they can do it within two or three hours. How to get back to that excitement they had at the beginning. And that's why people are switching partners, because they're trying to recapture that excitement, that initial excitement that naturally Mm -hmm. fades over time. But if you don't want to keep changing partners, if you want to stay with the same partner, you can fix your passion because naturally over time, people become more and more like each other and they become habituated to each other and it's no longer special. You're sleeping in the same bed every night and waking up next to each other every night. What's special about that? You, you do it every day, right? But there are other wonderful things that come from the, 
the uh, connection that you that deep connection you can have with someone but losing the passion is something people won't give up and what the passion experts teach is how to rekindle the polarity the masculine and feminine polarity mm. when you go to work the office is a masculine environment so everyone's behaving in a masculine way and when the when the feminine partner comes home he or she has to learn how to turn that off and switch back to feminine in order to rekindle the spark to have sex to enjoy that spark that they used to have hmm. wow do you happen to have a re the so one of the experts that you talk to that talks about the masculine and feminine polarity is there someone off the top of your head that you're like that was that was one of the the because i i didn't read the book and i so i missed this now i'm going okay well now i want to hear this chapter i want to go back and read this um well david data is very famous in exploring masculine and feminine okay and the passion experts that i interviewed and, and the whole chapter where i describe everything that goes on in a passion and a passion encounter with couples i i, I observe one of their seminars from uh -huh. start to finish and by the end three hours later these couples couldn't wait to run to their cars and fuck each other hmm. wow <laughs> that's was, great it was it was bizarre especially yeah. for me there alone without having a partner to be surrounded by like all this amorous energy <laughs> you're like <laughs> Nobody pay attention to me. I don't need to be fucked. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, their names are Satyan and Suzanne Raja, R-A-J-A. Uh, Warrior Sage is their company, and they have seminars oh. that are amazing. They're really interesting to watch. All right. Or participate in. It's the truth about marriage, right? Both the documentary and the book. Yes. And you can find all the information at the website of the same name, thetruthaboutmarriage.com. Right on. So come for the science and the wisdom Stay for Blanquito. Don Blanquito. Yes. The Brazilian uh, super womanizer <laughs> who had the biggest surprise ending of anybody in the film. I know. It's really, right? it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I really enjoyed that piece. I enjoyed that piece in part because uh, my kids walked in on me watching it during his part one. Um, oh, and you were like, and I was like, get out of here, leave. You got to go. You got to go. Like, they're, what are you looking at? And I was like. And then later on, I got to tell him, I was like, look at this. And then, of course, uh, I won't spoil it for you. But yeah, you guys uh, who are listening, go out and check out the, the, um, the documentary and the book as soon as you can. The moral of the story is there's somebody out there for everybody. That's right. Don't yuck somebody else's yum because he found his yum. Right on. Roger, thanks for joining <laughs> us today. Thanks for um, sharing uh, your, your movie with us. And, um, and it's, uh, as always, it's fun to talk to people who are doing the, the work in the trenches. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. You guys, I was so honored to have Roger Nygaard join us and share with us his documentary, The Truth About Marriage. You can find it on Amazon Prime. Um, in fact, I sat down and I watched it with my partner yesterday, which was just so much fun to have him sort of chat about the things that I talk about all day long. So um, grab your popcorn, grab your movie, grab your lover and check out The Truth About Marriage on Amazon Prime. Thank you, as always, for all of you who are working to make your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.